0: I think sustainable means if it scales really big, is it a good thing for the world? Does it does it negatively impact the world? It captured people's minds about packaging, which is something that people really didn't think much about until five, 10 years ago. I think within 10 years, we will have virtually eradicated styrofoam coolers and I think we will have massively reduced the burden on landfills.
1: Welcome to the Beyond Capital podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond
2: Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. Together, we have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We want to show you how social impact can exist in a company's operations, product, and culture, sometimes unexpectedly.
1: We hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of social impact for you and feeling inspired by the potential to do good. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast.
2: And today's guest is Brian Powers. Brian is the co-founder and CEO of Pack, a company that is innovating in the logistics and packaging space by creating sustainable, functional packaging products. Brian previously worked in investment banking,
1: Welcome, Brian. Great to have you.
2: Thank you. Really excited to be here. Welcome to the show.
1: Yes. Welcome to the show. We have a lot to unpack today. Um, Pack. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Packaging uh, waste represents one third of all municipal trash, which really stands out to me. Um, And you are at the center of this industry. Tell us about your business and what motivated you to found Temper Pack five years ago.
0: It's been a, it's been a journey. It's in some ways feels much longer than five, plus years, but um, in, in some ways shorter because it's gone by so quickly. I'll, I'll start with where we're at. We make sustainable alternative materials that replace styrofoam coolers. So our material, uh, our flagship material is called Climacell. It's a patented biofoam material that we make from plant starch and paper. And it is curbside recyclable, has far fewer emissions, over 60% fewer carbon emissions during manufacturing compared to styrofoam and works just as well. Uh, So we work with over 100 food and life sciences companies helping ship their temperature sensitive food and medicine and vaccines to end patients and consumers throughout the US. Uh, We're based in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, have a factory here in Richmond, and uh, also in Las Vegas, Nevada, to serve the the western side of the country. We currently have over 300 employees and are are growing and hiring rapidly as we try to scale up to meet the huge opportunity. So it's been a it's been a fun ride, and it's fun to see where we've ended up because uh, when we started, we really had a blank canvas and just kind of followed the the. The value as we explored what to do.
1: That's that's incredible, and I, I can see the impact and and the tentacles in different sectors. So I, I'm sure that it that it is you know also rewarding for you to kind of work across different you know healthcare and other industries. But for us, you know, as consumers, packaging is really the one of the most visible examples of waste, and you know we see the Amazon boxes and deliveries. Can you maybe? Give us a sense of the scale of that challenge and any information that you have on, you know, the size of the problem, which is also a market opportunity.
0: However big it is, is getting a lot bigger now with the growth in e-commerce. It's driving a lot more packaging consumption, a lot more plastic packaging consumption. And if you were to, you know, not all plastics are created equal. Styrofoam is by far the worst plastic that's commonly used out there it has a lot of toxic emissions when it's manufactured it takes up tons of space in a landfill lasts in a landfill for well over 500 years and so it's it's one of the least sustainable materials out there when When we go to sustainable packaging conferences, back when there were conferences, it's funny to hear plastic executives talk and and basically say, hey, we're not styrofoam. You know, our plastic's much better. And so it's a big problem. And and, uh, as much as companies want to move away from styrofoam, they also need to ship things and at an uh, increasing rate. Things are going um, direct to home in increasing ways, both in food and in Uh, the pharmaceutical market. And uh, so it's driving a huge need for more what we call thermal materials, things that keep things uh, cold or frozen during transport. It's a well over $10 billion market growing at at least 20% a year. This year, there's no data yet. But with COVID, it probably increased more than 50% just this year. Uh, So it's a big opportunity, a big problem. What's key, though, is not just getting rid of styrofoam, but we're, we're replacing it with materials that actually work really well and that are truly sustainable, not just, you know, greenwashing. Those have been the two major challenges and kind of the two things that differentiate us uh, as we've gotten started is our authentic sustainability and our true performance in keeping things very high value products, you know, things like biologic drugs and infusion treatments, uh, vaccines, as well as, meals uh, that people eat. These are things that are super high value and very important to get right. And we have a team of over 30 engineers that help engineer our product, make sure it's you know not just as good as styrofoam, but, but better in many ways.
2: It would make sense to me why you are in or would want to be in this business now, but you used to be in finance and investment banking. What led you to get into the packaging industry in the first place?
0: The idea to go into packaging actually comes all the way back from college and even at some roots before that. So my uh, one of my co-founders, James McGough, he and I were childhood friends. Went to middle school and high school together outside of DC in Maryland where we grew up. We always wanted to start something in high school. We started a, a junk removal business called Junk Runners. Uh, we started a, a rock band called Paper Planes. Both were obviously very small, but he- The went. rock
2: band was supposed to be a business? <laughs> well, we sold some Uh We, we uh, it was a terrible business.
0: Uh, we did not make any money off of it, but it was certainly fun. Uh, we still play sometimes, but we wanted to do something really big. James's dad is an entrepreneur and always inspired us to kind of go build a business. So even as early as high school, you know we he was gonna go study engineering uh, and I was gonna go study finance. So he went up to Montreal at McGill and studied materials engineering where he met Charles Vincent, uh, our third co-founder. And I went to Penn in Philly to study finance and us three came up with a lot of ideas all over the place, truly blank canvas, but stumbled upon this cold chain market, which had a lot of disruption, which meant a lot of opportunity and had been learning about it they were doing a five-year program i was doing a four-year program so after i graduated i went to wall street for a year Learned a ton, including that it was not for me. <laughs> it, it was very helpful in learning about business. And uh, after they graduated, I left, moved back in with my parents in Maryland. We got started and really tried to, to get the company going. It, it, it really has just been an, a whirlwind of uh, growth. And, you know, I can feel like one step forward, two steps back, but, uh, you know, overall, it's been a really great ride.
1: You mentioned greenwashing and, you know, finding an alternative to styrofoam that is that works, as you put it. What have you seen that maybe was in the greenwashing category purporting to be sustainable, but and, and maybe not even effective, but not really fully walking the talk?
0: Styrofoam is sometimes marketed as recyclable, which it is almost never is. There's very few facilities around the country that, well, recycle it. You have to go drive there to, to do it and can't just put it in your bend. And, and so I uh, think a lot of consumers still are confused by that styrofoam cannot be curbside recycled. We see other materials that claim to be biodegradable have no data to support that claim. And you know maybe they use plastic, which is not biodegradable or compostable or recyclable all without data. And these are very poorly regulated claims and consumers get confused by them, as you would expect. We've gotten third-party data on all of our claims, uh, which has just been a really important thing. And we've seen the industry develop and get a lot more sophisticated and consumers get a lot more sophisticated, whereas it used to be enough when we were just getting started to say, hey, we're not styrofoam. Uh, Now it's, well, we're recyclable. We have this uh, carbon emissions impact. You know, if you switch to us, this represents a, you know, 95% reduction in your overall plastic use, you know, often comes with being able to lower the amount of gel packs or dry ice they're using in a box, which means lower carbon emissions during transport. So it's getting a lot more sophisticated. In some ways, it took a little bit longer to get that sophisticated. But at the same time, the last couple of years, we've seen A huge momentum build from buyers and consumers uh, on the specifics of uh, sustainability, which has been really awesome.
1: Got it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the industry is definitely developing. You mentioned that you only work within the US. I actually happen to be an investor in a healthcare logistics business in India where the cold chain is you know significantly lacking. Have you thought about the opportunity outside of the US and and globally for your product?
0: Yeah uh, we, we are starting to think about that. I'd say you know the. US. is a huge market and as fast as we've grown, there's still a ton of opportunity here. but we are starting to export to the UK and Europe. We're partnering with D.S. Smith, which is a major corrugate manufacturer uh, in Europe, to to go commercially out in Europe. Uh, We've had initial talks with buyers in Asia and Australia, New Zealand. So it it is something we're looking into. Exporting works surprisingly well for our product. The way our product is configured, uh, it ships flat on like styrofoam, which ships in a cooler, which means you're shipping more air than actual styrofoam. Uh, So we can fit three times as much, uh, which not only lowers the carbon footprint, but lowers the transport costs. So it's been surprisingly effective to export long term we do see actually manufacturing it globally so I would love to you know get connected with anyone in India that, that you know uh, that has cold chain problems I'd love to learn more about the market there specifically
2: so sustainability is at the heart of your mission and um, and yet sustainability can mean a lot of different things to different people. What does sustainability mean to you and to Temper pack specifically?
0: I think sustainable means if it scales really big, is it a good thing for the world? Does Does it negatively impact the world? There's obviously good. When you ship food to someone's home, that's a good thing. You know, they get food, they get convenience. So the question is, Did that come with negative externalities that will poorly affect current or future generations? And everything has an impact. You know, almost everything produces some level of carbon, some level of waste. So you really want to minimize that to a point where uh, society can deal with that waste over time so that it doesn't accumulate and affect future generations negatively. And um, that's what we're building toward. You know, I think... We started out of the gate with a huge improvement over styrofoam. It was a very low bar to hit, but we want to get better and better. You know, each year use less energy and Reduce our waste internally, use less material in general for the same outcomes. And there's a ton of opportunity because styrofoam is a 70 year old material. It was, it did the job for, for many years. And then in the last, sometime in the last five to 10 years, people started saying, Hey, this, this isn't really good enough. This has a huge impact on the environment and on landfills. You know, we're not going to work with brands that use it.
2: Is your focus purely environmental or is there a social impact component as well?
0: Our commercial focus is certainly on the sustainability end, but how we run the company is is, we certainly try to have a a strong social impact. We operate in economic zones, opportunity zones, uh, low-income areas in Richmond and in North Las Vegas. We pride ourselves on promoting from within. We've had awesome uh, experiences for people coming in as a a uh, assembly worker and working their way up, which I'd love to say is out of the goodness of our heart, but it's really just because they proved themselves and we uh, needed the help. Uh, but it's great to be able to offer that kind of opportunity. We haven't done anything formal like a B Corp or anything like that, but uh, we, we certainly try to evaluate ourselves on a number of ESG criteria other than just environmental.
1: Actually, if you, if you wouldn't mind, Brian, elaborating on operating in opportunity zones, how did you come to create your manufacturing in in those zones and maybe if you could just describe what they are for our listeners i think that that would be useful
0: opportunity zones are regions that the government usually federal government has listed as low income areas that they want to encourage companies to invest in so they offer incentives To investors in companies that operate in those zones, and you also can qualify for low interest loans, grants, other things like that um, on the state and federal level. When we were picking our our plants, it was uh, one, we were on a budget, so it made sense to go to a place that was affordable. Two, these. Uh, incentive programs are pretty attractive, made it that much more of a no brainer to go into one of these zones. And when you do, you hire the local workforce, which has been a really great thing for us. It's allowed us to have strong ties in the communities, offer a lot of opportunity where, you know, there wasn't uh, much opportunity. You know, Richmond is is. Is kind of an old tobacco town, and it's doing really well as a city now. But when we were getting started even five, six years ago, there was a lot of open warehouse space, a lot of opportunity, and so we quickly expanded. I think we currently have over over 300,000 square feet just in Richmond of uh, production and storage space that's allowed us to hire lots of folks, grow quickly. And Richmond, just in general, has been a really good place for us to be based because you know, we're only 15 minutes from downtown and we need all sorts of folks uh, at Tupper pack. We need line workers, machine operators, mechanics, engineers, sales reps, finance professionals. We're kind of unique as a business for that. A lot of packaging companies only do one or two of those things. Uh, We have a R&D Lab in, uh, in South Richmond, where we do a lot of research. Yeah, so it, it, it worked really well for us to, to go into one of those zones. I think it's allowed us to be a, a company where the headquarters isn't removed from where the factory is. Our headquarters is actually in the factory, and that allows us to be a, a much more integrated company uh, versus having it separated.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned not working with specific brands and being selective about your typical customer or about your customers. Is your packaging solution more expensive than the market standard? And if it is, do you find that you have to kind of educate or convince potential customers of the value of sustainable packaging?
0: We pitch ourselves as being the, the least expensive when you think about it from a all-in cost perspective. And what we mean by that is uh, when you take into account the, the cost of shipping, so all the weight in the box, when you take into account the brand effect and the fact that the biggest reason why consumers cancel subscriptions to meal services is because of all the plastic packaging. Uh, when you factor those things in, we have a great uh, return on investment for uh, customers. If you look at it just on the material itself, we do charge a premium. Uh, we instead of using petroleum-based plastic products, we use plants, and that does cost more. Fortunately, there's it's enough of an unoptimized industry and enough of a consumer need that when customers get educated about it, they they see that it's it's not inconsistent with their bottom line. And I think that's what makes us unique as a company. A lot of companies really do get torn between their bottom line and uh, having a good social impact. At the end of the day, for many companies, it is a trade-off. At some point, they can do a lot of things that are aligned on both things, but then at some point, they have to decide: Do we go the extra mile, even if that costs us more? And for us. I think we're just in this unique space where we're we're very aligned. When we invest in the sustainability of our product, we can charge more and our consumer and our customers can market that to their customers uh, who are ultimately willing uh, to pay more or order more. As a result, we've been fortunate to be very aligned so far. And I, I think there's a lot of market opportunities that are like that, that are increasing because consumers are being more vocal about what they want and they have more brand choices than, than what they've had, especially through e-commerce, which you, you're not just stuck with what you see in the grocery store. You, you have anything on the internet that can ship to you, which is quite a lot. So people have a lot more choice that's resulting in them having a bigger voice and that uh, goes all the way to the packaging. And the last thing I'll say about the the packaging with e-commerce, you know, if you walked into a, a, a retail store, A big part of your perception of the brand was how that store looked, what was in that store. When you buy something online, you see a website, looks a lot like other websites. One of the biggest differentiators is the packaging that it comes in. That is the only physical presence that an online customer gets other than the product itself. And so people are investing in that packaging and uh, sustainability is absolutely one of the biggest ways to do that.
2: Have you seen any unintentional or unexpected consequences arise from your work and your products?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, in the early days, you certainly are building the bus as you're uh, driving it. And it took a lot of uh, trial and error to get the product right. And to scale well, and to convince the big brands that you know we could scale up with them. You know, in the early days, there's certainly lots of mistakes made as, as far as scaling up. I think we took on any order in the early days that we could uh, get our hands on and overcommitted at times. I think we've gotten much much better at that. And I think we're, now one of our biggest differentiators is our service uh, and just being reliable. In the early days. And I think we get fortunate there because our first big customers were meal kits who were just starting out themselves desperate for a non-styrofoam option. And we were able to grow with them and mature with them as as those businesses have matured and then diversify to other types of food businesses and into life sciences. I I think when you grow really quickly, it's it's always hard to train everyone as much as you want. People get uh, thrown in the fire right away. Some people thrive on that and they love that. Others like more structured environments and it's always a, a challenge getting that right, but I think one thing being based in Richmond and Las Vegas is we had we operated in communities that were truly hungry to be a part of something that was a rapid growth, uh, socially minded business, and so we were able to get a lot of really dedicated people to to see us through those challenges. So you know, fortunately, I, I think we've had more more wins and losses uh, since we got started.
1: Incredible. Well, let's get to know you a little bit better as a person and as a leader. We are going to launch into our rapid fire questions. The first one is what book is on your nightstand right now?
0: I'm reading Empire of the Summer Moon, uh, which is about the rise and fall of the Comanche uh, Native American tribe in the 1800s. I read a lot of a lot of nonfiction, historical, and uh, it's really well written, really interesting. Not a lot of parallels with the business world, but it it's just it reads like a novel.
2: Get yourself psyched up in the morning. What's your go-to beverage? Coffee, tea, or caffeine-free?
0: Uh, absolutely, coffee. Also, a Daily Harvest smoothie. I'm not just saying that because they're a customer. Their uh, smoothies are really <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> I've thought about trying that. I should I should dive in on on daily harvest. Name something that is giving you hope right now.
0: The huge increase in startups focused on climate technology sustainability in general. It seems to be that a lot of the smartest people out there are going into this, dedicating their careers. And whether it's investing or building companies, it seems to really be coming into its own, which I think is just encouraging. If, if it stays a niche, then we're not going to solve climate change. We're not going to solve the plastic problem. And so it just seems to be attracting the capital, human capital needed to actually make a difference, which we are a super small part of that and want to be a part of a big wave of that stuff happening. And so really encouraged to see that wave happen.
2: Do you have a favorite resource for staying up to date on current events, like a podcast or a website or a newsletter or anything like that? I read the Wall Street Journal
0: and The Economist. Those are the two sources that I I go to. And then uh, a podcast, I listen to left, right and center. So try to get a balanced view of, uh, the world out there.
2: Can't go wrong with the economist. I agree
1: with that. What is one trend you're watching in your industry? And can you please comment on mushroom packaging, which has come up on the podcast before
0: a big trend, uh, is just the incredibly discerning consumer. They want to know everything about the products they're buying and the packaging used for it. They're viewing, their purchases as extensions of their themselves as ways to express their moral codes i think that's what's fueling our growth I, I think some of our customers are truly fundamentally dedicated to sustainability. Others are doing this purely because their consumers are asking for it and they just serve their customers and they give them what they want. And so I just think that's a trend that you see in lots of different industries, but we're seeing it in e-commerce food, certainly. Mushroom packaging, uh, it's so cool. That was one of the few things out there already when we got started. You know, I think it's ecovative, they, they grow mushroom packaging that replaces styrofoam we don't you know they they play more on the protective side i think with um like appliances electronics we do more of the food life sciences side so haven't uh competed with them yet but uh it's a really cool idea and and one that really paved the way i think for a lot of sustainable packaging it's because it captured people's minds about packaging which is something that people really didn't think much about until five ten years ago
2: i've always wanted to be able to make soup and gravy from my packaging <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell our engineers i'll get them on what's one yeah. of the best ways for you to unwind
0: Love uh, biking outside. I live uh, right on the James River in Richmond. There's a great path that goes to Williamsburg. I love to play music. I, I sing. James plays the piano. And so we, we still do that in COVID times, just uh, reading and, and watching a lot of Netflix. Uh, can't wait to, to get back to uh, traveling and, and other things like that. Yeah, it, uh, and, and work. I, I think it's, it's really fun to be able to get to do something that really blurs the line between personal time and work. It all, it all feels very fun. I, I should say all. There's obviously bad times and, and things that are less than enjoyable. But overall, it is a very fun experience that qualifies as both a, a job and a passion.
1: I think work should be fun. I think fun is underrated in, in life. And um, it's something I was not trained to value in my early career. And even though I'm, you know, not, not too old, I think I've really come to now 16 years in to really value fun more. So I love hearing that.
0: As a first-year analyst in investment banking, you don't get a lot of fun. If you're having fun, it probably means you're doing something wrong. So it was a really big premium that we wanted to build into into Temper pack and it's a fun environment. And what's great about manufacturing is that it's so social. It's so in-person. It's so, uh, there's so much information being shared back and forth. There's very little you can do isolated um, or or individual work, so it's created a really fun social culture.
1: Now, um, just turning back to your company and to you as a leader, 10 years in the future, what mark do you think Temper Pack will leave on the world?
0: I think within 10 years, we will have virtually eradicated styrofoam coolers and I think we will have massively reduced the burden on landfills by creating recyclable and compostable packaging. I think we will have uh, lowered the costs, both environmental and economic, to transporting food and medicine to consumers and patients, their homes, which will hopefully increase good nutrition and increase access to food and life sciences products 10 years to me is uh, infinite horizon so i could keep going but those are the the main goals that we want to accomplish and it's also on a global on a global scale not
2: just in the u.s that'll be awesome when i'm walking down the seasonal aisle of the grocery store and i'm looking for a disposable cooler to put my beer in i will (laughs) see a temper pack cooler instead of a styrofoam cooler well that's right that's
0: actually it's how it all started you know when we were in college tried a lot of different ideas but the idea that got us started down the cooler route was a high-end cooler reusable for the consumer market for tailgating and camping and stuff like that and as college students I think our first few tests that had beer in it realized that the pharmaceutical cold chain was a a really great place to get started, Uh, but a lot of good ideas start with beer.
2: A little more money there.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Yes, very true. Well, this has been great. Thank you, Brian. It's been great to have you on the podcast and, and thank you for sharing your mission and your vision with us and our listeners.
2: Yeah. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. It's been great having you. Really enjoyable. Thank you for coming on.
1: Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference.
2: You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at E.A. Stevens.
1: And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time.
2: Bye, everyone.